Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. It's been a couple weeks. Hey, yes, Jason. Yes, hello, Pastor Tyler. How are you, man? I'm doing well, Pastor Jason. Yes. I forgot to say Pastor. <laughs> um, all right, so it's been it's been a couple of weeks, and we've had a doozy of them. Um, yes. We, we've had a lot of preparation, a lot of planning, uh, far beyond just the two of us in the office. We have over have had over 100 people involved in planning and preparing for quite a few things that have gone on. Um, so we're going to kind of recap you guys on a couple things. Number one, last week we had a Good Friday service. Yeah, we did. You can't have a resurrection without a crucifixion. Um, and we had uh, two separate um, online experiences. We had a live Good Friday service and a live Easter yep. service. Uh, but what you saw online, if you weren't able to gather with us, were actually pre-recorded services that pretty much had the same content. Sure. Um, but some of the things that we're going to be covering today are, are what we went through in our live uh, gatherings on yep. Good Friday and Easter. And so, and we good, were in a cemetery on the online experience. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. It was, yeah. it was spooky. Yeah. And great job on the audio, Tyler Christian. We, uh, yes, I know that there we were some, outside. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know, and I, I'm one of these people that are ignorant to all things media, all that stuff. I thought you could just do stuff. But when we recorded, it was windy. There were cars honking. There was like this monitor that like I guess there was a garage or something around so they were like 75's ready <laughs> like all this stuff going on in the background and I asked Tyler the, who works for the marketing company Smart Marketing and Popper Bluff they will meet all of your media and marketing needs yep, they're meeting our podcast needs right now yes we're they in their are podcast room. Um, and he was like oh yeah I'm good I can do all that and when I listened to Good Friday I told Courtney that was witchcraft <laughs> that was wizardry like yeah. that he was able so shout out to Tyler Christian yep. at Smart marketing. Yeah, absolutely. So that was cool. And we had an awesome gathering uh, for Good Friday. We're going to start there. Um, and Good Friday, traditionally, um, throughout church history, it's it's a time of, of uh, uh, it's a somber service. It's yeah. a time of reflection on our sin and what placed Jesus on the cross, yeah. the price uh, that was required to pay for the penalty of sin. Um, and we're going to walk through a little bit of, of that sermon. And yeah. uh, just to sort of paint a picture for you guys, um, like a lot of times when you come into like when you come into West Side or you come into a church, there's like canned music, there's like iTunes playing in the background or whatever. Um, like when when people came into the Good Friday service during our countdown, like they heard audio of just like thunder and lightning and yep. like rain. And then when that ended, um, we read all of Psalm 22 together. Yeah. Um, and read that out loud. And uh, and there's some uh. uh church historians and, and um, scholars who believe that uh, Jesus may have actually quoted all of Psalm 22 when he was on the cross, because um, it ends with that he has done it, which in, in the Greek translates roughly to it is finished. And so we did that, and then we sang together, uh, no musical instruments, kind of haunting, just acapella, yep, acapella, four vocals on stage, and then a Historically, room full of people. that and another service are services of darkness. Yeah. And the reason why is because in the scriptures, in, at the crucifixion, and like what you had in the countdown video the thunder and the lightning was there was darkness that covered the whole earth yeah. and so it is not it is not a feel-good service yeah. as it shouldn't be you yeah. know yeah and then we heard a good word um a good reminder of our response to the cross um and, and what is required of us and then we sang again and watched, yeah man yeah it was it was a fantastic service and then um, dismissed in complete yes, silence yeah that we showed a video that had thunder and lightning and jesus on the cross and then the verse from Luke 23 where Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body and laid him in a tomb that had never been used before. Yep. And uh, and then we dismissed people in silence. And As my son Roman said, Dad, that was intense. <laughs> that was well, intense, well, let's, Dad. Well, let's talk about the content of, of that service. Um, so this is Good Friday 2021, and we talked about responding to the cross. And uh, we have some common responses to the cross of Christ. Can you talk about those for a moment? Yeah. Um, you know, the context, the verses were Luke 23, 32 yeah. through 56. And I like Luke's description of it just because, you know, the Dr. Luke and there's... Um, there's a compare and contrast. There's the crowd there, but everybody's responding. Yeah. Even creation, hence the darkness, yeah. the centurion soldier, everyone's responding. The crowd's there, and Luke is really showing. There's some people that get it right, 
And then there's some people that get it wrong. And it's almost as if he asked the question, like, which one are you? And before we started everything, I just said, there, there are responses to the cross. And I think the first one is, is to reduce it. Yeah. The sin and judgment. We want to rush past the cross and get to Easter. Yeah. And, you know, Sunday or even on Good Friday, say Sunday's coming. You know, right. so, well, man, in the original, like there were Sunday was not coming. The centurion isn't like, it's okay, Sunday's coming. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> disciples weren't locked in a room, right. terrified, going, Sunday's coming. Yeah. You know, I mean, and so we really try to reduce it. And a large reason why is is because of the sin and judgment. Yeah. Like what's happening on the cross? This is the theological understanding of atonement. Yeah. Why is Jesus dying? What is being paid for? Um, and you know, I would land on the penal substitutionary yeah. atonement, but atonement is a part of it. It's not everything that's taking place at the cross. It's a part of it. And so right. anyway, I think we reduce it. Yeah. And then the second thing is 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 I think we redefine it. And what I mean by redefine it is I told a very famous story. Um, one of the top five most sung songs in church for ever since it came out is the song In Christ Alone, written by Stuart Townsend. And a large de- denomination was getting ready to insert this into their hymnal, rewrite, rewriting their hymnal. And so you can imagine the amount of committees that were formed to rewrite a hymnal. And um, there's a line in there where it says, and on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Yeah. And so, which is where, you know, a lot of theology thinks the darkness, the everything like that is symbolic of that. And they actually rewrote the lyric and said that on that cross as Jesus died, um, the love of God was magnified. And um, I think the answer is yes. Yeah. But it's both. Yes. It's not either. And also from an artistic perspective, Stuart Townsend wrote, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So, (laughs) but I think that is a fantastic example of us trying to redefine the cross in that sense. And then the very last thing is, you know, you know, from reduce it to redefine it is just to outright reject it. And this is where, um, you know, um, Islam and other faiths, Buddhism, you know, the suffering aspect of Jesus and the cross is massively offensive. Yeah. And, you know, we forget this in the American West, but if you spend time, maybe you're, you know, you're a college student listening to this or you're in a city that's, you know, has more um, ethnicities in it. But man, that the cross and the bloodstained cross is offensive. That's why Paul says that later on. And so, um, you know, those are very common responses. But what yeah. we said was, is this is true. Yeah. That the cross requires a response. Yeah. You can't be apathetic. Right. You, you can't be indifferent about right. it, if you will. Yeah. It requires something of us. It yes. requires a response and it requires us to... Uh, not just look at it and make a decision, but also look within ourselves and see what in us placed Christ there. Yep. Uh, and the answer is all of it, yep. <laughs> all of our sin. Um, and so we moving into the context, um, uh, we, you broke it down to uh, some of our responses. Um, but beforehand, we see a couple people in, in, in the scene that get it right. Uh, those those who, who sort of see Jesus and on the cross and, and their response is right. Yeah. Uh, and we see... The, the second thief on the cross mm-hmm. in verse 42, we see the centurion soldier in verse 47, surely this man was, was the son of God. Joseph of Arimathea in verse 50, and the woman in verse 55. Yeah. Um, and we see a beautiful response. I love the repentant thief's response um, in Luke. Hold on, I'm gonna, do you, ha- you have Luke open. I've got John open from... Uh, uh, I actually don't have Luke open you know, right Well, now. let's open Luke. Mm-hmm. Listen to our Bible pages turn. <laughs> In verse 42 of chapter 23, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And even before then, um, the the first thief on the cross is like mocking and scoffing at Jesus. Yeah. Um, and he's like, hey, he, uh, if, if, if you're really the son of God, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself and us. Um, are you not the Christ? Save both of us. And then the, and this is where we get the, the second thief, but the other rebuked him, saying, don't you fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And here it is. That's so great. And we indeed justly, this is us, for we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. 
but this man has done nothing wrong. And I love that that perspective, the repentant thief. It's like, look, we're getting what we deserve. Yeah, here, man. Like, like, hey, bro, you're trying to make fun of Jesus. You're right. nailed on a freaking cross right. too. What, yeah. do you, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, what do you, like, are you really going to jeer at him and be sarcastic right. and you are on a cross? You're yeah. dying next to him. Yeah. Well, That's what, so what, great. What can we take from that repentant thief? Because we see, we see three people Three people on crosses next to each other. Yep. Two of them are there because they deserve it. Mm-hmm. One of them is there. It's Christ who who is sinless and perfect, does yep. not deserve it, but is there on our behalf. But the repentant thief has a perspective that the first one does not. Yeah, He has a perspective of, hey, I belong here. Yep. How can we learn from that? Yeah, I think um, I actually used to when I would travel around and preach, I would speak. If I would, if I were to drop into a setting, I always enjoyed Colossians, but always enjoyed the cross. But I, I had a sermon where I walked through. I think there's a number of things that happen. I think there's first conviction. I think the repentant thief is convicted. Yeah. And we don't see it in the text, but he gets to watch everything that happens to Jesus yeah. from the scourging to everything. And now Jesus got nailed. These guys probably didn't get nailed. Jesus definitely had a much more severe crucifixion than these guys, um, as as to make an example of. So I think there's a level of conviction. He probably was seeing how Jesus was responding. Father, forgive them. I mean, he's hearing this. He's seeing this. And so obviously we know that nobody comes to the Son apart if the Father draws them. So God did something in this man's heart first and foremost, and I think there's a level of conviction there. That's good. There's conviction, but then I think the conviction leads to confession. And the confession is, I'm getting what I deserved. I'm no better than anybody. I I stole. I I mean, we just know them as thieves. We don't know. Yeah. What else happened or took place? There's a lot of opinions on that, but um, but I think there, the conviction led to something, yeah. and and that was a confession, yeah. And the confession was, "You are the Christ." You know, um, I gotta re- write that down. Hold on, conviction leads to confession. That's really good. You know, remembered, remember me, and and then it was, it wasn't I'm I'm a sinner, and then it was you are who you say you are. So it's a twofold confession, yeah. and, and and oftentimes we think confession is simply confessing my sins. Right, that's a part of confession. Yeah, um, I like in high liturgy churches they have what's called an absolution. Yeah, so when people confess or there's corporate confessions, immediately the minister reads a a portion of scripture or something about the finality of Christ's payment and says, but yeah. In Christ, you are forgiven, and and so confession is not just confessing of sin; it's confession of the Savior as well. Yeah, and so I think that's what's taking place in order for his perspective to change. And then I think there's also something else of him looking at this other thief and going, "That's my other option, right? Is to do what this guy's doing, and yeah. this isn't working out well. Yeah. We're the ones who deserve this, right? And so, um, you know, I I don't ever want to take this one moment on the cross. And make it a finality, you know, and go, well, everybody works this way. But I think there's some things that we see there that work in everybody's life. I think there's yeah. conviction. I think there's confession. Um, and and all of those things that are at work yeah. for perspective change. No, that's good. I love that you said that that he has the option of looking at the other thief and saying, well, I mean, I could go that route right. and hear what he's saying. Because that leads us into your first point from there was that you must resist the crowds. Yep. That's one of our, our right responses to Christ on the cross. Excuse me for a second. I have to belch off the mic. <laughs> yeah. All right, there we go. You must resist the crowds. We and we see this. We've already read a little bit of this um, from from what some of the rulers are saying and, and what the other thief is in verse thirty five. The people stood by watching, and the rulers scoffed at him, saying, "He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one." And the soldiers also mocked him. They give him. They offered him sour wine, and they said, "If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself." And then we hear the other other thief on the cross in his words. So we have we have this bombardment of what the 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 others that are around the the cross in this scene are saying, and it's all sort of this denial and this mockery um, and sort of making fun of someone they may not even really know or understand who he is. Sure. Um, and because they've not followed him or heard him, or they have, and they're rejecting and resisting it. Yep. Um, and so you use a, 
an application here with an illustration. You said you watched an interview with an author who wrote a provocative book a lot of people disagreed with, and then the author the author eventually asked, like, have you even read my book? Right. <laughs> like, and the interviewer said no. Yeah, well, no, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and I just, it was, but but you could tell from the beginning of the interview yeah. that this interviewer despised this author yeah. and already had a preconceived notion of everything, and yeah. so went into this interview, and, and I just thought, that's cancel culture. Yeah, what's a good example? Well, is cancel culture a good example of this in terms of the Christian faith and in a- terms of the cross? And absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think it's so easy for you to go, oh, Christianity, Westboro Baptist. Right. Well, no. That's every Christian ever. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, it's not. No. (laughs) That's like saying, oh, you know, um, Islam, 9-11. Yeah. Well, if you gather your, your if the totality of your information of what you gather about Christianity and Christian culture is from the comments section on Facebook. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's that's like going, oh, Christianity, the Ku Klux Klan. Right. Like, you know, and so what cancel culture does, and it's actually, Aristotle talks about this in arguments and persuasion, is is you take a fraction of an element that is true and you make it the entire argument. Right. And the reason why I said you must resist the crowds is because in the text, Luke is very clearly showing us there is a response to the cross. And then Paul later says in 1 Corinthians, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Yeah. It doesn't make sense yeah. because how could God save by dying? Right. I mean, that's what the Jews were saying. They yeah. were saying, there's no way you're the Messiah. You're dying. Look yeah. at you. If you're the Messiah, come off the cross. And yeah. man, that's so haunting to me because that's Jesus can't. That's the way he's saving them. Yeah. He can't come off the cross. Yeah. The way that he saves you is by dying. Yeah. And and so I think for us and especially our generation, and, and I'm just gonna speak to our generation and and a little bit younger. If if you're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and you're getting your theology from Snapchat, that's a problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, you you can't formulate your opinion about Christianity. We say this at Westside all the time. Big questions require big work. Yep. So if you say, I don't trust the Bible, my next re- question to you is, how much have you studied that? Yeah. And if you say, well, you know, I saw this Joe Rogan clip, you know, just his JRE clips on YouTube, and he had this guy, well... Joe Rogan smokes weed with Elon Musk. You know, like, I, I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, guys, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm just saying you have to yeah. go, okay, this is the, and by the way, when do we ever go with the general consensus? Right. <laughs> on, on, on anything. Right. When are we ever like, oh, everybody in the world says this. Right. I'm going to go that route. But for some reason, and I think it comes down to this. I love what Tim Keller says. People resist the scriptures not because they contradict themselves, but because it contradicts them. Mm. And so the reality is, is if you want to respond to the cross rightly, yeah. you have to reject the crowds. Yeah. And you need to, on this journey of your own, really study this and ask yourself, why does this penniless preacher from Nazareth yeah. still affect the world I live in today? Right. Why is this cross that was an emblem of shame and suffering yeah. is now jewelry and everywhere. Yeah. You need to answer that yeah. question. You got to resist the crowds. Yeah, that's good. Why is Easter trending on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, man. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And the second one, uh, the second point we got to is you must release your ultimatums. Yep. Release your ultimatums. In verse 39, it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. What's he saying there? What's he doing with that? Yeah, I, he's saying, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll serve you. I'll love you if blank. If you get me off this cross. If you get me off the cross. Yeah. Here it is, man. Yeah. Here's my situation. If you save me from the consequences of my actions. Yep. And what we say, the scriptures teach that for anyone is in Christ, there's no condemnation. Yeah. It doesn't say for anyone is in Christ, there's no consequences. Yeah. And But the problem is, is he's trying to negotiate. Right. And so this is kind of, you know, maybe you're a college student, high school student or whatever listening to this and, you know, you didn't study for finals, but, you know, you're you're sitting in the room going, oh, God, please help me. God, if I pass this final, <laughs> if I pass this paper, I will serve in nursery for two months, God, <laughs> please. You know, and the reality is whatever, if you say, Jesus, I'll follow you if blank, whatever you put in the blank is what you're actually worshiping. Yeah. That's the conundrum. It's idolatry. Yeah. And um, one author uh, said, 
do you see the difference between the first thief and the second? The first thief says, I'll be with you if you get me out of this. Yeah. The second thief says, I'll suffer anything if I can just be with you. Yeah. And the key in the text is, Jesus says, you will be with me in yeah. paradise. He doesn't say, you'll be in paradise. Right. Jesus does not speak to the circumstances of that man as yeah. ultimate. He speaks to a relationship with him as ultimate. That man died that day. He died. He died a horrible death. That man was crucified and died that day. Yeah, so, so would you say, oh, well, he didn't have enough faith? Right. Like, <sighs> you know, he died on the cross, yeah. a horrible death. Yeah. And would you go, well, he didn't have enough faith to get off the cross. Yeah. And what Jesus is saying is your circumstances aren't ultimate. Yeah. Yep. The relationship is ultimate. Yeah. And what you have to lay down when you come to Jesus is your ultimatums. Yeah. He requires it. We yeah. see this all through the Gospels. Yeah. That's why people reject Jesus yeah. is because of that. If anyone were to follow me, he must take up his cross daily. Yeah. And what we see Good Friday is for us is for us to pause and reflect and ask ourselves, yeah. now what am I putting in the blank? Yeah, that's good, man. St. Augustine, I always say Augustine. I'm just going to say Augustine. Yeah. St. Augustine said, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he isn't Lord at all. That'll preach. Yeah, right? Like, if he's not Lord of everything in our lives, and he's not Lord at all in our lives. Um, and, and that's the daily dying to yeah, ourselves. Yeah, that's that's the the daily taking up your cross and following Christ. Um, and so what kind of perspective shift? Like, because man, I'm, I'm so drawn to this thief on the cross. Like, he died that day. Yep. He suffered those consequences, but he was willing to stay there and, and suffer through the consequences because he wanted to be with Christ. There had to be a perspective shift. Yeah. What kind of perspective shift is required for us to say like the second thief, I will suffer, I will bear any cross daily if I can just be with you. Yeah, I think in order to bear your cross daily, you have to bear your own brokenness. Yeah. And so we said, whatever's hidden will never be healed. Yep. And so what that thief did is he exposed himself. Yeah. And this is the great fear, right? This is the great fear. Everybody listening to this right now has this common fear. If I'm fully known, I'll never be fully loved. Mm. If you fully know me, you will not fully love me. Yeah. And this goes back to the garden, yeah. that when sin entered in, they ran and hid themselves, covered their nakedness, yeah. shame. I think the first emotion that Adam and Eve felt was shame, yeah. disappointment and shame. And what Christ does, and this is the beauty of the gospel, man, let's just get to preaching here, yeah. is Jesus looks at you and says, I know you're, you're worse than what you even think. <laughs> you're, you're more broken than what you even know. Yeah but you're more loved than what you could ever imagine. Yeah. And if you would trust me to love you, if you would trust me to love you in your brokenness, that's where I'll meet you. Yeah. That's where the perspective changes. And yeah. I, I say the word trust, and, and what this is in the Christian faith is faith. Yeah. So in order to reveal what you're hiding, it requires faith. I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. Yeah. If I expose my brokenness, will I be loved? And then let's just keep digging here. That's where people get hurt in the church Yeah, is they come into a community and they hear the good news of the gospel and they say that Jesus loves me and this church represents the body of Jesus and these people are supposed to love me. And so you, you're in a community group or you're in a relationship and you reveal what you've been hiding and then either somebody A, you know, uses it against you, yeah. belittles your hurt, um, you know, misuses your trust and then you pull out and go, see, yeah. my greatest fear was true. Yeah. That if I was known, I wouldn't be loved. And man, if if you're listening to this and, you, and, and you've experienced that, I'm so sorry. The church is yeah. a broken place. I love what, to quote Augustine said, the church is a whore, but she is my mother. Mm. And it's not perfect, but it is the bride of Christ. Yeah. And uh, the reality is, is keep pressing in, keep moving back in. And so, yeah, the perspective changes when we reveal what we're hiding. Yeah. Yep. No, that's really good. I was thinking when, when we were prepping for this, um, we live in the Bible Belt, and and hiding is just so prevalent. Like, many of us grew up with this idea that we're at our best when we sin the least and we're mm. engaging in those Christian practices the most, like reading, praying our Bibles, and then, like, don't drink cuss or chew or go with girls that do. And 
we believe that this is if, if we're nailing it in those areas, then it's the best time for us to go to church. It's right. the best time for us to approach God. But that's a lie. The Bible teaches us that we're all broken, and God saw our brokenness and came to us. Yep. And sent his son. And so this is what grace is, yeah. is that you didn't do anything to earn it. Yeah. So why do you believe the lie that if you do you can do something to lose it? Yeah. That's, that's good. a that's a lie. That's yeah. a lie. What's what's a and this will be the last question for Good Friday and then we kind of move into Easter. What's a practical way that we can acknowledge our brokenness? Like if 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 we come to the cross, we have to reveal our brokenness. We come we come to a, a church community or a gathering, and we're honest and open with one another. Like maybe that's difficult. What what's a practical way for someone to acknowledge their own brokenness? Yeah, well, I think to quote the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter twelve, he says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Mm. And so, first and foremost, I think getting your head in the scriptures. Yeah, man. So you can be reminded that you are broken. Yeah. And that this is who you are and that confession is good for the soul. And then secondly, that's where confession is best seen in community. That's why James says, confess your sins to one another. Yeah. That you may be healed. Yeah. Yeah. Next man. Because whatever's yeah. hidden is never going to be healed. Yeah. And so um, in that sense, I think that's where the real practicality comes. You, you, yeah. You've got to look in the mirror. You've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you've got to press into that community that way. Yeah, that's really good. That's really, really good. Well, Good Friday, the cross of Jesus requires a response from us, and we left that Friday evening in silence and in anticipation for Sunday morning. Yep. What did we do on Easter Sunday, Jason? Yeah, man. Well, first off, on Saturday, known as Silent Saturday, we were very busy from about 10 to 3 oh, right. at, at the historic Rogers Theater. Oh, why were, why were we there? Yeah, because we were celebrating Easter that following day. But, man, we had um, that Saturday well over 50-plus people yeah. who had signed up to volunteer and to serve um, at Easter at the Rogers. And yeah. I've always said this from back in the days, even when we did the Coliseum, and had a you know we 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 tend to do Easter as a community event at Westside. We yeah. cast the net pretty wide, and Saturday is almost more fun for me yeah. than Sunday, just because the people yeah. um, who come out and who are willing to serve um, and and to do that. And guys, please listen. <clears throat> Tyler and I get a lot of stage time on a day like on Sunday or something like that. Yeah, and the reality is is that is not one half of a percent yeah. of what allows that day to take place. Yeah. Um, the amount of people that were serving for weeks, yeah. building stuff yep. at their own house, yep. um, you know, up at the church. I mean, like we were up at the church a week before Easter and people would come in at random times, like I'm working on Easter stuff and yeah. doing stuff like this. And so those volunteers and those people, if you're listening to this and we'll have a time of recognition Sunday, but man, if you're listening to this and you volunteered on Sunday, great is your reward yeah. in heaven, man. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Many, many thanks. Yes. Well, I want to talk for just a short moment before we get into the content of Sunday's sermon, um, uh, which was just two days ago. Um, still got some wind in our sails from Easter, that day. And Easter's over. Well, it's not over. Easter celebration and Easter yeah. season is still here. Yeah. The calendar date is... Uh, oh, my gosh. ...is, is beyond Wasn't us. Wasn't Christmas uh, last week? Yeah. Well, it's next week now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So the, the Rogers Theater is, is um, one of the most historic uh, uh, locations in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, yep. um, save for a few churches. I mean, it's... 73. Three years yeah. old or something yeah. like that. It's extremely old um, and and very awesome. If, if you've never been in there, um, swing through there at some point. They've got some community events going on in the upcoming days. But um, it's an older building. Yep. Uh, I wouldn't say dilapidated is a, an appropriate word, but there there are some updates that are required. Needs a little um, love. Yeah, needs some TLC. And so they have this program called the Restoration of the Rogers. Yep. And we wanted to leave our footprint. Um, from from the community of believers and people coming who are maybe curious about the faith or peeking at Christianity, we wanted to leave a footprint from that community on the Rogers. Um, and so we wanted to hold Easter at the Rogers Theater, and we wanted yep. to celebrate there. And I was so encouraged, man, the 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 manager of of the grounds at the Rogers, uh, Shanna, she, yes. she pulled us aside and said, I, re I remember it was like 30 minutes until 10 o'clock when we started uh, on on Sunday, and she was like, hey. And I was like, what's up? Is everything all right? She's like, this is the biggest 
event yep. that we've ever had yep. at the Rogers. And I just said, good. She like, said, she said, I don't know if there's ever been a line like this for the concession stand. We yeah. bought out the concession stand. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah. Kids were kids were hyped up on candy and sugar and king size Snickers. Everything bro. was king size. Yes. <laughs> it was just giant boxes. Popcorn, Foxtrot Coffee, 404 Vine Street was there. Yes. And they they served coffee. And listen, like we just celebrated like Jesus rose from the grave, man. When you and I sat in the fellowship hall with that giant whiteboard, before we had the theme graves into gardens, before we had anything, we were on the same page of, listen, last year we were in quarantine. Yeah. And it was weird. Yeah. It was really weird. Yeah. We want a celebration. Yeah, man. Fun. Yep celebration like he really rose from yeah. the grave. Yeah. And man, if that was our goal, yeah. I think we nailed it. Yeah. It was super fun, man. We got confetti everywhere. Yes. Kids got balloons and candy and sodas and yep. and we celebrated. We sang loudly. We shouted. We read scripture. We heard a wonderful word. And it was just a ball. It was a ball. It was a My blast. son Roman said, Dad, I'm not saying that your other sermons weren't good. <laughs> He said, but man, today in my life, he said in my life, 10, year, 10 years he's, old, he's 10. 10 years old, he said in my life, that was the most fun I've ever had in church. And I was like, awesome, buddy. That's cool. Awesome, man. That's really, Great. really cool, man. That's really, really cool. Well, if you joined us on Easter Sunday online, uh, you heard a little bit different uh, sermon and you saw us in our chapel because we pre-recorded that and released it. But this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit about a shift in the sermon. Same text, John yep. chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, a little bit different direction. Um, and I think... I mean, Pastor Jason, you you contacted me um, Saturday, <laughs> Saturday afternoon, as after we're done setting up, and you're like, "Bro, I think the Lord is doing something in me, and I might rewrite my entire sermon." Yeah, and I was which, like, "Which, by the way, for the listeners, is not me." <laughs> right? Yeah. At Generally, all. you're done with your sermon at the latest by Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, I usually have your notes by then. I always say, I think the Lord can lead me in preparation yeah. as much as he can in, yeah. you know, procrastination. Yeah, and yeah. so but that so that's not my personality yeah. and especially on something that that I need to be crystal clear on like yeah. an Easter event. And yeah. so this is fun to talk about in, in light of the rest of the sermon. This yeah. is a very Paul well, and, Harvey. And last two weeks ago, well, when, the week that we recorded both good... So two weeks ago, oh, man. it was... Uh, you wrote three, four sermons in a week. <laughs> yeah. I took over West Side Men because you would have had to preach four sermons. Yeah. And, so, and then Matt did it the next week. Matt Blackburn, love you, Matt. Thanks for thanks for filling in whoop, last whoop. week. And, um, but you wrote, so you wrote a sermon for the the, Good Friday. the filming for Good Friday at the cemetery yep. for filming the Easter Sunday service. That, that was going to go live. That, that yeah, went live. Sure. That did go live. Yep. And then uh, and then that Sunday, that service, Sunday service in Colossians yep. um, and the three of those. And so uh, you contacted me Saturday and you were like, hey, I, I don't know if I rushed it or whatever, but the Lord is just is moving something in me to go in a different direction tomorrow. Yeah. For, for me, anytime I approach a text yeah. or anytime I sit down before I do anything, before I read a commentary, before I do anything, I read the passage a bunch and I look for the nugget. Yeah. Sometimes and a lot of times it is one word, like a phrase. It's yeah. something. And I've got, I follow that thread and I just keep pulling on that thread. And yeah. I, because it, I mean, if it doesn't excite me. Yeah why in the world would I think that it would excite you, you yeah, know? And so right. as I felt rushed and then all day Saturday when we were setting up, I was just like in the back of my mind, Courtney says it's when I go blank in my face, which happens <laughs> a lot around the house in the week. They're like, dad, what are you thinking about? Where are you? Yeah. And, and it happened when I was checking my microphone when we were, you know, getting set up on everything. And I yeah. was reading through the text and reading through the text and it just dawned on me in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, the place where, where the best news happens, the best event, the best thing that we could say that God has ever done is in the worst place. Yeah. It's in a cemetery. Yeah. It's in a graveyard. Yeah. It is in a bad place. I mean, nobody has positive vibes in a cemetery. Yeah. No and, one's like, let's get the family together this afternoon and after lunch, go to the cemetery. Yeah. And so I just, <laughs> when I was reading that, and so all day, all day, all day, yeah. and when I was driving away from the Rogers during setup, just felt the Lord and, you know, just sort of impress upon my heart. I do my best work in cemeteries. Mm. And I thought, that's it. Yeah. That, I, that's it. That's yeah. what I've got in light of this past year. 
in light of knowing people and the lives that people live, yeah. God does his best work in what appears to be for us our worst places. Yeah. And so I told you, I said, dude, I'm just going to get up at like 5 a.m. I got up at like 4.45 on Easter Sunday and just rewrote the sermon. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will never forget. Um, I tag along with you sometimes for uh, uh, funerals um, yeah. to play songs and stuff like that. And uh, the first time um, we went to a church, we live in a very rural area in Southeast Missouri. So so along with a thousand churches and city limits, there's also little tiny like churches just peppered throughout the rural areas yep. around us. And, and they all have cemeteries in front of them. Yeah. They all have headstones in front of them. And I'll never forget you telling me that like historically the cemeteries being right outside the church and that you were basically the front door, you had to walk down the center of the cemetery to get through the front door of the church because yep. we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, yes. the saints that have gone before us. Yes. And, and that's, that is, that for me, I think was like, and I'm going to transition into a word that you used in your introduction, you catastrophe. Oh yeah. Um, a you catastrophe. What is a you catastrophe? Yeah. So I am, you know, some guys, hunt and kill things with their bare hands. Some Amen. guys are athletes and really, I read books. I'm a nerd and I love words, love the Oxford English Dictionary. But um, when it comes to Easter and trying to describe it, there, there's just no word. There's yeah. no word. I mean, resurrection, but goodness gracious, what does that even mean? Yeah. And J.R.R. Tolkien, who was brilliant, who invented elfish language, which, <laughs> which by the way, he's the author of The Lord of the Rings. And in The Lord of the Rings, there is an elfish language, yeah. which is a certified language, you know, Yale-type language. And yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. And J.R.R. Tolkien coined the phrase, eucatastrophe. And euka, it comes from good, two Greek words. And eucatastrophe is the sudden, happy turn in a story which pierces you with joy that brings tears. Yeah. That's a eucatastrophe. Yeah. And that comes from the climax of the story in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. Yeah. She goes there, there's angels. Jesus is like, who are you looking for? And it says that she did not recognize him. And then verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And then here it is. She turned yeah. and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. Yeah. And so that's the turn. Yeah. That, that's and so what we were praying for is for people to have a eucatastrophe. Yeah. And we said that most people would probably say, in light of the past year and a half, yeah, their lives are not a eucatastrophe. It's yeah. a catastrophe. Yeah. Disaster. So yeah. yeah, man. And even when you look at the story of the cross, um, and, and in the grave, you would look at that as a catastrophe. Yes. Um, but then that moment calls her by name. So I'm gonna break this down a little bit um in the way that you did. You said the our big idea was God does his best work in cemeteries. Um, and we talked about in some of the ways that God works uh, in in cemeteries and in the in the difficult seasons of life. Um, and the first one was this: God works in the dark. Yeah, God works in the darkness. And and I, I think we. I mean, you you talked a lot about the the play on uh, symbolism that John does in 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 his gospel, where he plays a lot with like light and dark. Yep. Um, I mean, even in John chapter one, yep. like uh, in John chapter one, the, the word in the beginning, in the beginning, yeah, he's mirroring Genesis there. And in the beginning, the, the word made flesh, I'm sorry, my goodness, where's John chapter one? In the beginning was the word. Was the word and the yeah, word was man. with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and him was life and the life was the light of man. That's, that's it already. It's just there in the bottom of my brain and I had to have a reference there. But but then going back to the to the Genesis account, like yeah. you said, before God did anything, yeah. there was darkness and it says that there was dysfunction, there was chaos. And so darkness always symbolizes chaos um, defeat, dysfunction, and yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah. And so God works in the dark. Like, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. I mean, yep. we, we see that there. It's it's not even sunrise yet. Um, what is it, dawn? Dawn's the one where the sun's coming up. So right. it's like just before that. Um, and she's having this dark moment. Like, she comes to the tomb and Jesus's body is gone. Yes. And she, and she doesn't even, it's not like, we read this verse and we're like, oh, she's realizing he's resurrected and the angels are, no. Like, she nope. thinks that they've taken his body for whatever political purpose or whatever she to asks hide him away. She for it twice yeah, she, for the body. Yep. She, she asks the angels that are in there, and then she also asks Jesus, whom she's mistook for the gardener. Yeah, and, and, and we don't know the exact 
moment of when Jesus yeah. resurrected, but we know that it was in the darkness yeah. when, when he did it. Nobody was around for that. And yeah. so God is literally doing the best thing yeah. in the darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we see that in the—you mentioned how in the darkness, it seems like God really may not be working. Yeah. Like, in the darkest points of our lives, that's often when we think that, oh, God's not here. God, I need to do blank to get God to come—whatever it is. And and a sub point you had there was don't confuse God's silence for his absence. Yes. Like Saturday is known as Silent Saturday. The disciples thought it was over. Mary thought Jesus' body was taken and that it was still over. All of that. And and the way that translates to our lives, like like God, we, we've said this through our Axiom series that we've learned through gravity and all of that. God is always present and at work. Yes. God is always present and at work in the darkness, in the valleys, on the mountaintops. And so I want to ask this question. At, at times when it seems like he's not... When it seems like he's not, how can we be more aware of God working? Yeah, that's good. I think that's the great temptation is when we feel like that God isn't working or if there is silence, what we see through the storyline of the Bible and then even moments probably in our own lives when we're honest, that's when we are tempted to take things into our own hands Mm -hmm. and do them ourselves. And every time that happens, something horrific um takes place and and so the idea is the question like you said is not is god working the question is am i aware of it yeah am i aware of it and i think it's number one holding on to his promises and knowing you know what what he has promised but one of the things he's promised is to never leave us or forsake us amen and so even in moments where he might be silent it doesn't mean that he's absent. And yeah. and I told the story to illustrate it of when our children were small, infant babies, and there's that moment when you're getting ready to change a diaper or, or feed a baby, and you lay them down to go prepare whatever you need. And that moment when you lay them down, yeah. they feel like they have been abandoned. Yep, it's like, over. It's over. I mean, the they're crying. On, they're on a bed, but they're in a dumpster. Yes. I mean, <laughs> you have left my entire life. Yeah. Oh my! And the reality is... You've gone, you're doing something, you're preparing, you're working. That baby's just not aware of it. And I think that happens to us more than we give credence to in our lives. Just in the moment when he's silent doesn't mean that he's absent. Yeah, that's good. Another thing that we see in the text is Mary continues to follow Jesus. Yes. It's still dark outside. It's dark, nobody else. Yeah, the sun hasn't come up yet. It's still dark outside, and Mary is continuing to follow Jesus. Wherever he is. Yeah. She found herself in a dark place, but also, I love this, you said in a divine position to experience the resurrection. You said, never doubt in the darkness what you have seen in the light. Yeah, that's Spurgeon. Yeah. Spurgeon, and and I think that is just a great... a great exhortation to us as believers mm. that no matter what season of life you are in, yeah. and, and maybe right now you're listening to this in the past year and a half or relationships or this, that, and the other, that it seems to be, God, I'm in a season of pruning. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm not seeing a lot of positive things. I'm not seeing this. The reality is, is don't forget what God has done. Yeah. And, and never doubt in the darkness what you've seen in the light. That's yeah. the same God. And yeah. so really the exhortation is don't give up. Right. Don't stop following. Yeah. Look at what Mary did. Yeah, well, it gets better. God doesn't just work in the dark. God works in death. Yes. God works in death. It says in verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in. And then in verse 13, it says, she said to him, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Yep. She doesn't know where he's at. And, and she thinks that, uh, well, talk about the scene. I mean, you had said that that in the Greek, the, the term weeping would have been translated in a different way. We would have just thought yeah. like maybe a tear down the, the side of her face. Like, what is she experiencing here? Yeah, no, man, this weeping is mascara's running, ugly yeah. snot crying. This yeah. is the ugly cry. That weeping is is wailing. And she yeah. asked twice, and John and, and in all of the Gospels, they're very interested, and they all mention the body. Yeah. They all say the phrase, the body. Yeah. Because listen, it's not, it's not a spiritual resurrection. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about right. here. We're not talking about some transcendent sugar plum fairies, unicorns. Yeah. This means that this is a 
Jesus really died. He didn't just swoon. This is not a resuscitation. Right. This is a resurrection. This is Jesus was dead. Yeah. His body, his heart stopped beating. Yeah. His lungs deflated, didn't have air. And she's concerned about the body. And what we said was, is this is the ultimate enemy. Yeah. Is death. And you know, for the wages of sin is death. Yeah. So the payment for sin is death. Sin is the problem and temptation. Yeah. But death is the enemy. Right. And that's what we needed somebody to yeah. defeat for us. Yeah, for sure. And so what we said was the reality is is just because it looks like it's over, right, doesn't mean that it's over. Yeah. That's the way God works. Yeah. Jesus was dead. Lazarus was dead. And even though from our perspective, it looks like death is the end. And again, the cemetery, a cemetery is where the story ends. That's where we lower our loved ones into the ground. And then we have to, quote, remember them because they're no longer with us. Um, This is where the story begins. Right. It's not over. This is a new turn. Yeah. No, that's really good. And you've said this in the past, like, I'm, I'm tired of going to funerals. I'm tired of going to cemeteries. It's not supposed to be this way. Yep. Like, and and it was death was never part of God's plan. It wasn't Correct. supposed to be this way. From the moment that Adam and Eve went around God and decided to be God when they took from the tree and they ate, death and sin entered the scene, but death, our great enemy, and entered into the scene. Yes. And so maybe for people who are listening to this, or maybe you came on Easter Sunday and you're you're still unclear. Why did Jesus have to die? Yeah. Like if God works in death and death was never supposed to be part of the plan, why did the perfect God made flesh, the, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ have to die? Yeah, I can answer that by going back to the original story. So what we see in creation in Adam and Eve is perfect harmony. The Garden of Eden represented relationship, right? That's where the story began. And then when sin entered in, God banished them east of Eden, if you will. And he put in front of the entrance to Eden an angel with a flaming sword, symbolizing that the only way to get back into a relationship with God is that somebody would have to absorb that sword. Mm. And the problem is, is that we can't enter in because, because of our sin. And so what we have here is Jesus Re, uh, reimagining the entire story. Jesus, when he absorbs the sword literally into his side and dies, and it says that the temple, the, the temple curtain was torn top to bottom, the curtain symbolized what happened in Eden, yeah. which was the separation of the relationship. And so in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, you couldn't have access to that. Only the priest one time a year and all of that. But what the curtain tearing symbolized was is that Jesus now made a way back to God. And so Jesus had to die to open up and to overcome the barrier of that relationship back to God. Jesus bridges the gap. Yeah, that's good. And Jesus uses a lot of language in the Gospels where where he acknowledges and upholds the law, but he also says, I give you a new commandment. Yep. I'm giving you something new. And I'm and I'm building a new covenant with you. And you had a second you had a second sub point there. You said God doesn't repair old things. He's not into sitting on the ground and trying to fix the VCR. Right. He makes new things. Yes. He makes brand new things. God's word says that if anyone isn't in Christ, they are not a fixed creation. They're not a refurbished creation yep. at a discounted price. They are a new creation. Yep. Um, and you quoted this, Christianity is not about bad people becoming good or good people becoming better. Christianity is about dead people coming alive. Yes. So what? Do, so I want to ask this question. What does a new life yeah. or a new marriage or a new blank, fill in the blank, whatever, what does that look like? Yeah. I think one of the reasons why Mary didn't recognize Jesus, there's a lot of opinions on this. But I think it's because she was looking for the Jesus that she saw crucified. Mm. So she was looking for bloody garments. Yeah. She was looking for a staggering, injured person. Yeah. And the reason why she didn't recognize this Jesus is because this was a resurrected Jesus. This was not his glorified body, but some sort of new body yeah. that we know. And so I think a lot of times we miss Jesus or we miss God working in our lives mm-hmm. because we say the statement like we've been saying, man, I can't wait for things to go back to normal. Right. And the reality is, is God's not interested in normal. Yeah. God's interested in newness. Amen. And so when it comes to your marriage, God doesn't want to repair your marriage. God doesn't want to repair your husband or your wife. God wants to give you 
a new spouse. Yeah. And, and, and what that means is, is believing and living in that identity that we receive yeah. in Jesus. That's what we're yeah. studying right now in Colossians. Yeah. And in all of Paul's letters, he opens the first three chapters of this is who God is. This is what Jesus has done. This is what you were apart from Jesus. This is the gospel now. Yeah. In light of that gospel, yeah. You're a new creation. Yeah. And this is the way that you're supposed to live. Absolutely. And when you say when you say newness, like I th- I think culturally, like I think somebody who is not familiar with Christianity or maybe even like the Christianese of like resurrection or newness or anything right. like that could think God wants to give you a new spouse or a new marriage. Like that there's a mystery in that because he's not he doesn't mean he wants to give you a new person right he wants to give you another like right. a divorce some you know leave right. that's not god's plan escapism there's yeah there's there's a mystery in in the physical person and the person that you're married to there's a mystery in that they become new yes and therefore your marriage becomes new yes the way that your the way that your family members and the way that your loved ones and the way that your spouse physically becomes new spiritually and physically is a mystery but that's the newness that God gives us in Christ Jesus. And the question isn't, does God want to do something new? We know that he wants to do that. The question is, are we willing to die what we're used to? Mm, That's good. Are we willing to give up? I mean, Jesus is one of his first parables was... New wine requires new wineskins. Yeah. That you can't put new wine in old wineskins because it bursts. Yeah. What Jesus was saying was God's doing a new work. Yeah. And this new work will not function in the old mindset <clears throat> and in the old frame of life. Yeah. You have to surrender what we're used to normal yeah. in order to for God to do something yeah. new. Absolutely. And God's doing that work in you. Yes. He's 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 doing the work in others, but he's doing the work in you. Trust your, it. your job job is not to fix or repair or to do that work in someone else's life is to submit and it's to die to your own self yes. and to take up your cross and to follow him not to get someone else to die to them that's that's god's work that's yes. the spirit's work alive in their heart and that kind of leads us into our third point as we're wrapping up here god works not just in darkness and in death but god this is such good news god mm-hmm. works in dysfunction yes he works in dysfunction can you break that down for us a little bit yeah man this is where the context and knowing about this mary magdalene yeah. is a game changer um so so we know that magdalene was probably most definitely not her last name yeah uh mary magdalene probably was from where she was from magdala and Magdala was like the red light district, bad place, um, uh, thievery, prostitution, all of that. We also know in Luke 8 that Mary called Magdalene, um, Jesus cast seven demons out of her, a legion of demons. Yeah. So this woman who what early church fathers and historians would agree was probably a prostitute, mm who had seven demons, was the very first person to experience and have a conversation with the resurrected Christ. And not just that, raise the bar. The very first person to preach an Easter sermon was Mary Magdalene when Jesus tells her, go tell my brothers. She runs back, and the word tell literally means like to herald and to proclaim. It's the same word that's used in the New Testament for preaching. So the first person to experience all of this was not a Roman official, was not a wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea, was not any of the disciples. It was a one-time, a once seven time demon possessed prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> and by God's sovereignty and grace chose her to be the first yes. one to reveal the resurrected Jesus. Let's go, man. And to preach it. Yes. And so if God invited Mary into that story in that context, he can invite you. That's it, man. Yeah. That is the good yeah. news. The yeah. story of the Bible, please listen. Yeah. And the story of Christianity is not stained glass saints yeah. who were perfect and had this all together that they were good. They were the good people. Yeah. Like our kids in our house aren't allowed to use the language, those bad people. Yeah. Like we had these neighbors one time who were a ruckus and all kinds of stuff and broke into my car and stole stuff and everything like that. And and I realized 
I was speaking and using certain types of language. And one day Andy Gray said, Daddy, that's the house where the bad people live. Mm. And so we had a conversation of, you know, baby girl, there's no good people. The You know, we categorize the world in good people and bad people. Yeah. The scriptures categorize the world as sinners and in Christ. Yeah. That's it. There's yeah. either sinners and lost people or those who are in Christ. Yeah. And and so, man, the story of the Bible is God using broken, dysfunctional people yeah. for his glory. Yeah, that's and, good. And he says it by saying Mary's name. Yep, that's all he says. He just says Mary. What was that moment like? Man, oh there's, there's the TV show... Uh, the Chosen. Yeah. And there's a scene where they kind of show this as a precursor to this because it, it opens up and, and Mary's in this bar and uh, these guys are like hitting on her and she's disoriented and she's drunk and she she goes to the bar to want to get more drink and the bartender's like, that's not going to solve your problems. And so she rushes out of the bar and in this just cinematography, cinematic, beautiful symbolism, she's running in the street, she's dirty, she's all this, and you hear this voice say, Mary, and she stops and turns mm-hmm. around. And a lot of scholars think that when Jesus cast the demons out of Mary, this is this is not in the scriptures, okay? Yeah, yeah. This is total extra biblical. But when Jesus cast the demons out of Mary, that back in that day being a prostitute, you probably had a different form of identity. Mm. Like we would think about exotic dancers today, how they go by a different name. And the moment that Jesus cast the demons out of Mary, he said her true name, Mm. Mary. And that's when the demons came out. And so when he says her name here, that's when she recognizes that man's the only man who's ever called me by my name. That's Jesus. It's just incredible stuff, man. That's good, man. Well, final question. If someone's noticed that, maybe... You catastrophe, right? God, yeah, man. God called my name on Sunday. He he worked through his spirit, through the word, and I heard something. Um, noticing God working and moving in their lives, what should they do next? Yeah, man. I love what Billy Graham would always say. Um, he would always say, get a Bible and go to church on Sunday. <laughs> and what he meant was, listen, your salvation's personal, but it's not private. Yeah. And so um, if, if you're listening to this and if you were at Easter at the Rogers or if you were somewhere else, and you experienced a eucatastrophe on Sunday, a sudden turn of yeah. good news in a story, please get plugged in with, with your local church, yeah. a local pastor, and a congregation. Yeah. Listen, this is just the beginning of the story. Yeah. This is not the finality of the story. Yeah. A cemetery is where things go to die. God does his best work in cemeteries because that's where the story begins, yeah. not ends. Amen. So please reach out. You can reach out to us. Yeah. Um, you know, we had um, about four or five people um, raise their hand and pray to receive Christ yeah. on Sunday, which was Amen. incredible. I've had one conversation with an individual. And so please reach out to us yeah. um, at Westside or again, please your local church and your local congregation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, that's pretty much it for us this morning. We yeah. have one question that we got a couple weeks back, but we've we've been hit or miss with our podcast schedule the last couple of weeks. But this is from our friend Lauren, and okay. if you want to answer this real quick, um, real quick, <laughs> I'm right. just gonna go. Here we go. Uh, it's two part question. Number one: Was God disappointed in Adam and Eve when they ate from the forbidden tree? And then two: If He already knew Adam and Eve would fail before creating them, why didn't He just make them knowing the difference between right and wrong? versus giving them a glimpse of perfection before the serpent tempted them to be like God. Mm, yeah, big question. Why didn't God create them perfect if he knew they were going to fail? Right. Um, and was he disappointed when they did? Sure. So to answer the first part, was God disappointed? Um, well, I I wouldn't use the word disappointed. Um, I'm going to go parent mode and dad mode. Um, I think he was probably heartbroken. Yeah. But what we see is God pursued them. They're the ones who hid. Yeah. God says, Adam, where are you? Yeah. That wasn't for God. That was for Adam. Yeah. So heartbroken as a loving father sees his child wander from the path. Yeah. But disappointed in the sense of shame and guilt, no way. Yeah. That is not from the Lord. That language is um uh, shame language, exile language, yeah. shame language. Get away from me! Right, and God does the opposite. He yes, God. Says, Where are you? Yes, yeah. God draws us closer. Yeah. Secondly, this is pretty intense. This is getting into the foreknowledge of God, and and a couple of these questions sort of presuppose things from God's perspective. 
What we do know is, is all in Scripture is that the cross was predetermined before the foundations of the earth. And literally in Revelations, it says that that God, you know, the Father and the Son entered into an eternal bloody covenant before time even began. So there's a bit of a mystery there. Yeah. Um, God okay. absolutely knew what was going to take place. God yeah. wasn't surprised. I believe, and in my theological framework, that I believe Adam and Eve were, and this might, if this answer sparks more questions, please send them in. <laughs> but I believe that probably Adam and Eve were the only two individuals who had actual complete free will. Mm. And what I mean by that was, I believe that sin has, as Martin Luther would say, the bondage of the will. That sin, even though we choose something, Sin affects us so deeply that even in our free choices, we will always be bent towards sin. Yeah. And so, number one, God did create them perfect and actually did give them the capacity to know good from evil. What that story is showing us is, is that our fundamental problem is that we want to be God yeah. rather than worship God. Yeah. And so there's mystery there, yeah. but, but I do believe that they had a free choice but that choice was uh, marred by sin, yeah. and, and they chose sin yeah. in that sense. That's so, good. Yeah, it's a profound question. Lauren, thanks for that question. Absolutely. That's a wonderful question. If you have a question uh, that you would like answered in the podcast, like, oh, do I? I don't have free will? You can send that in to, uh, you <laughs> oh, can send geez. that in to info at westsidepb.org. Um, if you want to know more about us as a church, uh, you can just visit our website at westsidepb.org. And you can catch us. Our in-gathering services are at Westside, uh, 2807 Shannon Drive, Poplar Bluff, at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We live stream our 11 a.m. service on Facebook. Yep. And post-Easter, uh, our child care is now ramped up. We're, we're going back to 9 and 11, right? Yep, getting ready to. Yep, getting ready to. So looking 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 ready for that. Uh, anything else before we bounce? No, ma'am. Um, please. Uh, so we will announce what we raised um, yeah. uh, this Sunday. We're kind of keeping that a little bit under wrap. Yeah, we took up an offering at the Rogers for the restoration of the Rogers. Uh, what was collected, the church also matched. Yep, dollar for dollar. Yep. And so we'll announce that Sunday as a big celebration. Yep. But if you weren't able to be there and and you want to be a part of this because the resurrection is about God doesn't want to repair things. He wants new things, yeah. just like the Rogers. And so um, you can go, actually just Google Rogers Theater on Google, and yeah. they have a tab that says Restoration of the Rogers, yeah. and you can donate towards yep. that. So please do. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, if, uh, if that's going to wrap it up for us... Um my goodness, it's been a couple weeks, and it I'm, has I'm thankful that we were able to do this. Went a yes. little long, but we're good. Thank you for joining us again for the rest of the sermon. And again, may everything that we do in word and in deed be all about Jesus. Blessings, we love you, and he is risen. Indeed.